we all have trauma. We all have trauma. And that could be the big stuff, could be the little C stuff. Whatever technique it is we need, if we're holding on to the small T traumas, or go and navigate, see what they are, and then see if you can just let them go in whatever mindfulness or technique you want to deploy. But I do yeah. think it's important we we don't we don't hold the, or label it with the guilt and the shame that we often carry along with us. Welcome to the Mindful Paths podcast with Nick Day and Harry Kalimnios, where we explore the fascinating worlds of mindset, mindfulness, fitness, well-being, vitality, leadership, and personal development. Our goal is to provide you with the insights to help you live a more fulfilling, happier, and healthier life. If you're striving to be a better parent, friend, leader, colleague, or boss, or if you simply want to be more mindful and aware of the world around you, then this Mindful Past podcast is for you. We invite you all to eavesdrop on our conversations and we challenge you to discover a new insight to help you on your own journey towards personal growth and positive change. So sit back, relax, and let's begin our journey together on the Mindful Paths podcast. All right, good evening, Nick. Bank holiday Monday today. So what have you been up to today? Uh, well, I've, actually, it's been a good day. We started the day at a National Trust Centre, looking at houses, looking at lovely gardens, being outdoors. But last uh, last five hours, buddy, I've been sat in a car coming back from North Wales uh, with the kids and four dogs uh, working on my laptop. Um, yeah, just got back, just got back literally 20, 15 minutes ago, straight upstairs, power up the laptop, ready to, to meet yourself, put some positive energy back in, back into my headspace, which has gone a little bit dull, having been uh, staring at a, a moving laptop in a, in a car for the last year, nearly five hours. How have you inherited two extra dogs? I thought you had two dogs, now you've got four. There you go. There's a man that listens and, and notices stuff for sure. Yeah. So my parents have um, gone, well, basically uh, if, if people listen to earlier episodes, my dad's been unwell um, and has Aye. terminal cancer. So they, he's, he's decided to go and take a cruise and go and live life and, and, and see what the world has to offer. So him and my uh, mum have gone on a cruise around the Mediterranean and have left us with their two dogs, which alongside our two dogs has meant we've got four dogs, which is very entertaining. Wow. Um, so we've been giving, going out you know it's good it encouraged us to get out of the house take them for long walks go into the woods go into nature it's been it's been nice the kids have enjoyed it a uh, national trust center no, no. today took them a nice uh, woodland walk through through fields and saw sheep and lambs and all that stuff and then uh jumped in the car i was with lucy's parents so um today up in north wales yeah. uh mold and then um yeah drove back or well, lucy did the driving i was uh, working on my laptop next door lucy, and uh lucy yeah, she got out. Driving. yeah she always does the driving always does the driving yeah i'm very <laughs> happy with me around lots of Lots of times, lots of times. You fall asleep all the time. That's that, that, that's your tactic when we're, when we're on the... Uh, I remember that journey we were taking in... Um, where was it? Where were we? Was it Albania? I know, Albania to Croatia. And it was four borders. Yeah, 12 hours. And we had driving. to leave at three in the morning. And uh, yeah, we almost lost someone's passport. I think Joe's passport or someone's passport in there somewhere. We couldn't find it, couldn't we, when we were crossing the border at one point. But it was me up front keeping Lucy awake while you guys always slept in the back. It's a good example of thoughtfulness gone wrong because I decided not to tell, for those listening, my wife does uh, drives a support vehicle and we organise these cycle trips and we do cycle trip most years across Europe. This particular trip we started in Split in Croatia, went through Bosnia, Montenegro, I think Slovenia was in there, ended up in Albania. And uh, yeah. I just usually, I, I plan the trips in advance, tell my wife what driving we need to do, where we need to be and so on. For this particular journey, we usually in previous tours gone by, and we've done 10, 10 different tours, 10 different years, we leave the van in the country that we finish in. Uh, however, on this particular occasion, the hire company wouldn't let us leave the van in Albania. Well, probably for obvious reasons at the time, but you know, it was a long way away and we had to drive it back. Well, I decided, I thought I was doing a good thing. I thought if I told my wife that she had to drive it back on the final day at 3am, that it would ruin her whole trip. She wouldn't better enjoy herself. And that would be a, you know, 
she would just be dreading this drive. So I decided to tell her the night before. So we'd done four days of nice holiday. Night before, by the way, Lucy, 3 a.m., you need to be in the car. We've got four borders, 12 hours, solid driving, about a thousand miles to cover, whatever it was. Uh, is that okay? Um, apparently, it would have been a lot better for me to have told her earlier. <laughs> Especially I, as I, I slept so, for the entire think, journey while she did the driving and you navigated, I think. Yeah, yeah, she was not she was not happy, I seem to remember having to do that. But at least we got there and we, uh, we I think we made it with about half an hour to spare as well, which was great. Yeah, uh, I have a very a understanding journey anyway. So um, yeah. it's not surprising that she did the job today either. Um but uh, it sounds good. So that was the weekend, yeah. You were up there for the weekend, were you? That's yeah, yeah, it was nice. Family, uh, obviously Lucy's side, cousins, barbecues, um, yeah, watching football, Spurs having a miraculous comeback from 3-0 down against Liverpool to then lose in the 94th minute and be very Spursy again. I don't know, it's been a, it's been a, been a good weekend. What have you been up to? Um, I think I've been kind of low-key, but I've managed to play uh, with some of my nieces who came around yesterday and they came around. We played a bit of basketball in the gym and then I went around to my folks today who were looking after them yesterday and we we had some more fun and games today, which was really good. And it's quite funny because they come into my house and they know that they can't get like crisps and chocolates and things like that. So they're, they're asking, let's make some green smoothies. And then my other niece was like, let's make, can you make that mushroom hot chocolate thing? So I make them like this weird mushroom cacao thing. And uh, it's just, it's funny. And then actually today, what we were teaching them about, maybe this will tie into maybe what we're going to talk about, but I was, I was teaching um, the girls, especially the older one who's 10 years old, breathing techniques. Um, so actually both of them are are really interested in the stuff I do. And so they've both taken a copy of my book each, like my one of the nieces has taken the big version and the other niece has taken the small version and they're, they're, they're going through it with a pen and editing it and, and everything's great. Um, and so we were talking about that a bit today. So we talked about breathing and, and just the vital part that that plays when it comes to stress reduction and anxiety and, and, and relax, relaxation. But I think what I thought we might chat about today, I know it was one of the topics that you... Um, wanted to talk about at some point is this idea of of trauma and what we understand by trauma because the reason I thought we talk about it today is I was chatting to a friend on I think Friday maybe and we were talking about something and I don't remember exactly what it was I believe it was the pandemic and COVID and I was just saying how um, I'm not sure how this came about I think someone asked me for directions to some pub and of all the pubs in, in London I just happened to know where this pub was and I never go to any pubs but we were talking about maybe there's less people out and about and um, I was talking about some of my family who are maybe you know more reluctant to go out um, than they were before the older the older people in my family and I was saying actually it is a form of trauma and because the thing is a lot of the time when we think of the word trauma we're thinking I don't know, a big life changing thing that happens, you know, you, you lose your leg or you, you know, you get held up in some hostage situation or, or something like that. Um, but actually what I thought we would talk about today is maybe the, the unexplored element of trauma and what people don't really understand as, as you've said it before, you call it the little T trauma versus the big T trauma, which is all the things that maybe we, in our discussion today, will, decide that actually maybe our trauma um as opposed to the big stuff so if that sure. sounds like I something think, we can we delve into yeah well you know what it came out from uh, listener feedback always a good thing right and and please keep it coming mm. in some of the feedback has been really really helpful for us uh forming you know how this this podcast is going to going to move forward and, and taking on constructive feedback and positive feedback and lots of that as well uh, including gifts that have come through which have been wonderful uh, which has been really really nice as well but um one one listener um just felt that or asked me the question about 
if I'd suffered both little t and big t trauma in my life. And I, it was quite interesting for because for those that are close to me will know that um, in the past I've I've suffered from the big t trauma post and, and PTSD in particular, a post traumatic stress disorder. And um, I don't want to go into that right now. Maybe a little bit too soon for those that just started joining the show. But it, it was interesting because when they asked me that question, I immediately came back and said. On the small trauma side of things, often we talk about trauma um, and how it impacts us. And often the way that trauma can impact us, we, you'll find it, it it's its evident in childhood. And we got into a bit of a discord on on, on text message exchange. And uh, we're talking about our childhood. So I knew her, this individual as a, as a child mm. and some of the schools and things like that. And I said, you know what? I had a really wonderful childhood growing up. And I don't think there's any trauma in my life until this incident happened later on in life. And, and you know, all, everyone suffers trauma in their lives at some point we know that there's one certainty in life and that's death and that's often for many the big trauma that impacts them a loss of a parent a child a sister a sibling whatever and we know that's really traumatic and there's a grieving process i think you've related to in previous episodes as well on, on, on some of the stages that involves but we often don't think about the small traumas the little t traumas and it mm. I mean, to be fair the list put me on a little bit of a, a reflective i don't know what's the word rabbit hole search really i, I went into the rabbit mm. hole i haven't quite come out yet but I was thinking I had a really good childhood and it was amazing. And my parents listened to this show. So there's nothing there that's untoward. So I didn't have a fantastic childhood. I really, really did. It was amazing. But there were incidents when I look back that probably have manifested themselves over time and have changed and impacted the personality that I am today. And I probably haven't ever given them credence before this particular listener highlighted to me that, you know, what are the small T traumas in my life? I'm aware of it. It's funny that they say that teachers often teach the things they most need to learn. So as a, as a coach, I'm working with people that suffer different types of trauma all my life um, and, and doing, the, doing the coaching things, but I, but never actually really identified it in myself because I'm the teacher in that instance. So therefore I'm not, not, not learning what I, you know, teach, I'm teaching what I most need to learn in that instance. And I think there was there's one particular, I don't mind bringing this one to life. So as an example. Yeah, I was going to actually say, what, what is the example so that, because some of the listeners might be still not, 100% sure what we're talking about when we come to little t trauma so yeah it might be helpful actually if you so you've just been reflecting on this literally the last two three weeks right Up literally last two three weeks, two, three yeah. weeks ago, you you didn't consider this as a as a thing this this little t trauma um so what have you reflected on the last couple of weeks as now you can give us an example say actually maybe that was a traumatic experience that i can identify with now well i think is there's no maybe in it for me it's a definite and i just never really reflected and we talk about you know in a coaching relationship and obviously i coach clients there's a lot about a lot of it's about reflection gentle reflections raising awareness awareness leads to insight insight leads to action and it sometimes can explain that the actions that we take uh you know both pre and post a coaching experience and we know that from a, you're much more experienced than me but the prefrontal cortex is part of the brain that 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 deals with our everyday stresses, it regulates our emotions, it regulates our responses to those emotions. So in the example that I wanted to give is when I was 17 years old, me and two of my closest friends in the world, we got set upon by guys we didn't even know in, a, in an underground car park in Salisbury, the city that I, I grew up in, um, who basically beat the absolute living crap out of us, for want of a better word. Um, it left my friend with a, a broken eye socket. My other friend was unconscious and not unconscious. Um, we were saved actually by two passers-by that happened to be training to be in the in the military. We've got the um, the army uh, base nearby. We've got Boscombe Down, where a lot of them train and Salisbury Plain. And luckily, they were walking by and they they kind of stopped these individuals when one of my friends was already unconscious. They were kicking him in, in the head on the floor and all sorts. Now I came away from that incident relatively unscathed in the sense that I didn't have anything broken. But there was eight of them at the time, seven or eight of them, three of us, all of them were a lot older than us. Um, 
completely un, unprovoked. We were just walking back to our car and it was all caught on CCTV and we, we decided to take them to court. And I'll, I'll cut the story short. We took them to court for GBH um, and we ended up dropping the charges from GBH to ABH uh, because we were in the middle of our A-level exams and it was going to be a long-winded jury case and we wanted to move on with our lives. Um, and we got a, you know, there were several of the individuals were found guilty from the evidence that was there, which was which was a win in that sense. But when you look back at how that impacted us, so my one of my friends ended up literally moving to Tibet and studying meditation and and, and mindfulness mm. and and completely changed the individual that was, you know, that outgoing, not saying that he isn't outgoing now, but in outgoing in a different way, should I say. He had suffered from yeah. panic attacks for a long time. Uh, the other uh, friend went a different way and got into to, to substance misuse. Um, now, I didn't do either of those things. So I always felt that I was unimpacted by it. And I just, I was the one that got away likely. But actually, if I ask anyone that knows me, they'll always say I'm very defensive. And when you, when I look back at some of the things that I did at university, particularly in my first year, how defensive I was to anyone that kind of came into my space or ever felt threatened the way that I would react, I'm almost shocked at how I react now looking back. Never with violence, and not, that's not, not my kind of um, style, but, but I would definitely get very, very defensive very, very quickly. Um, and I think actually, I think I've held on to that. I don't think I've let that trauma necessarily go. It's somewhere at the back of me. I thought it started just, you analyze your own life. I think, God, for the last, what's that, 24 years, 25 years of my life, I've been holding on to that somewhere, somewhere at the back of my mind. I've never really exercised that that experience. I just always felt like the one yeah. that got away because I wasn't the one that ended up with broken bones and didn't take the pass of my other two friends. So I felt like I was yeah. almost the lucky one, but actually it doesn't mean it didn't impact and then, of course, that leaves you on a, on a bit of a, a path of other little traumas and how they've impacted you along the way. And it's important to stress that traumas with a small T can, can be anything from being bullied at school, from repeated things that just, just create that stress response. But if we don't deal with it, is, it manifests itself. Yeah, this is maybe what I was going to ask you, because I think it's interesting that you label that as a small T trauma, because... But other and, and again, this is all about it's, it's all relative and nothing has meaning except for the meaning we give it sort of idea. But other people would consider that to be possibly a, a bigger trauma, sure. right? Yeah. Now, yeah, yeah. Um, because when I think of little t traumas, um, I'm thinking even smaller than this being bullied at school business, because what I'm considering being a trauma, and this is where people might uh, disagree, and I think I've heard is it uh i think we both listened to gabble matty before who's yeah. who's one of these yeah. um you know experts in, in this field but I, this was an idea i i guess i first came across maybe 15 uh, probably about 10 years ago and and it's this idea that everything can lead to a little t trauma so for example let's say you're six years old and your parents are late picking you up from school for whatever reason there's traffic or something that actually could be a little trauma event because as children, especially, we tend to create meaning behind everything that happens. So yeah. that meaning that person may at six years old develop. And again, they're not going to even remember it the next day or let alone 25, 30 years later. But somewhere they're, they're creating the meaning. I don't matter or I'm not as important as something else. Or even if you're having a conversation with your child in the in the car and, you know, you pick up phone to answer the phone mid conversation, they, they they may take the meaning that that actually means that they're not as important as whoever else is on the phone. And so all of these things are what I would consider to be little t traumas where they're, they're just constantly adding to, I, I guess, our overall traumatic experience. So when we talk about traumatic childhood, um, that's what I'm considering as being a little t trauma as opposed to 
yeah, I know some. some and I understand the contextual difference because for event. sure what I went through would be a big T in, in many people's instances. I think it, for me, because I was the one that you know didn't take such a um, a different direction post-accident and didn't get as, as violently hurt as the other two in that same match. And I guess I came away feeling mm. lucky. So therefore, in my mind, I hadn't suffered any trauma whatsoever, which is why I kind of label it with the small mm. T. In my mind, I felt like the lucky one that didn't get impacted. But actually, when we yeah. think about the actions I took even immediately after that. So in the run up to going to the, the court, which took me six months to get to court, you know, I, I continued to go out because every time I went out, I would get attacked by someone I'd never met. My car got rushed up and all sorts because they didn't want me to go to court. I was under, we were under witness protection. There was all these threats coming in. If you go to court against these guys, you know, you're going to, this, that, and the other's going to happen. And I was getting attacked, they're fighting center, chased through town and all sorts. It was, it was really frightening. But the, the idea of being defensive was I wouldn't let anybody tell me what I could and couldn't do. So I continued to go out, even if I was going out on my own, almost to, to take a stance, despite the threats around me. I didn't want anyone else to tell me how to live my life. And I've definitely held on to that. I think, you know, I'm someone who we're different in the way that we are as people, but I'm very, you know, I want to make a decision. I want to go and do something like there's no one that can tell me I can't do it. And actually, we write on episode one. I've never even considered it. But I bet this plays a part. When I, well, you mentioned when I did my Ironman recently and I had a target of going under 10 hours, right? That was my target. The first coach I went to said, look, I can't take you on because I think it's an unrealistic goal based on your family work commitments and your age and everything else. But just hearing someone say I couldn't was like, well, that's absolutely, I'm going to make that happen and find a coach that yeah. will take me on. And, and I did achieve it. But I, I wonder if, if this all comes from, you know, a, a manifestation of that. Ins- I don't know. Maybe I had this before. I don't know because I don't remember far enough back. I mean, but it's funny yeah, how I, these things I mean, play it, and how they impact our personalities later on. Yeah, I'm not, I mean, it might be something that you have inherently. And I think actually we're we're probably more similar in that regard than than you may have mentioned there because I I'm very much against people telling me where I can and can't do, which I think a lot of people are anyway. But I certainly remember being quite defiant. For example, even like, and I'm not sure I've told you the story of this. Um, I'm not sure how relevant this is, but like my the way I spell my name, right? H-A-R-I as opposed to H-A-R-R-Y. And I, it makes actually more sense to spell it the way I spell it because it's actually short for the full of the name. However, at the time that I changed it, which I was, I think, about four years old, five years old, when I decided to, because my name was originally spelled H-A-R-R-Y on all my early school books and things i never knew that never knew I, that. okay I'm learning yeah and 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 so my name was always spelled like from my parents and on the books and the teachers it was always h-a-r-r-y and then one day i just decided no i, I don't want to be like every other harry that not that it was a particularly common name then anyway and i decided to change it h-a-r-i and i didn't actually know until years later that my full name harry laos is h-a-r-i-l-a-o-s i just decided to change it to h-a-r-i and it made more sense to me that way and then years later I realized it made even more sense because it's actually the first half of the first eight letters of my name and and so I just didn't like that idea of following the crowd and I tend to be someone that doesn't like to do that right everyone in my family was eating white bread I was at six years old five years old deciding that I'm going to eat brown bread and I just like to be a bit more defiant I think in in certain ways and not do the traditional way of doing things I guess um but I guess Going back to the trauma aspect, I feel like from what you're saying, that was actually pretty traumatic, right? We're talking about you actually are having life changes from it because you're deliberately going out seeking this kind of, uh, and I guess, not conflict, but you're, you don't want to be boxed down by this fear of being attacked or anything else. So you're going out of your way. To go out by yourself what was then i mean not you know, I'd, yeah. I'd like to think I'm, I'm past that bit now i think it just left me on yeah. down a bit of a, a a process of self 
discovery, right? Which I think is really important. We do that. We take time to look inward. We're so we're so keen to look outward. There's a quote. I'll get this wrong. I can't even remember who says it. I'll maybe look it up in a moment. But it says, um, you know, people that look outward dream. People that look inward awaken. And that was really powerful. I can't remember who said mm. it. I've got that exactly right. But it does awakens things. We can all dream, and that, that's great. But when you awaken what what's inside you, that's when real powerful things I think can can happen. When you look inside, and and I think looking inward, even at those instances that happened when I was seventeen or eighteen years old, or actually I think it was maybe even younger than that at the time, um, they've been quite powerful. And there's other things as well along the way that I just kind of forgotten. You bury them, and we you know we've suffered a, a miscarriage in in my life yeah. here, and, and that would be a big T in many people's lives, and um. It, it wasn't in mine. I wasn't ready at the time. And I remember having that different feeling of wanting to be there for my wife from one angle and on the other side going, actually, I wasn't ready for a child. But actually, we then, it's, I think it's called a, a miracle baby or butterfly baby. There's a, there's a name for it. But we then conceived Eva, my daughter, who's now nearly 14, during what would have been the term of the first child. And oh, wow. during, so obviously Eva wouldn't be able to exist had the first one mis- miscarriage not happened. Mm. So for me, she is a, a miracle girl. And it gave me that time and space to be ready. And I, I'm the most emotional I've ever been in my life was the day that Eva was born. Like I, if I could describe happiness and bottle it into one particular moment, that was the, the moment of my life really. And yet when we had the miscarriage, that's not how I felt. I didn't feel sadness because at that point in my maturity, my life, I just wasn't ready. But that would still be a small T. And I, I know you're saying, actually, the small T's can be much, much, much smaller than that. It can be a, yeah. as, as much just being late, late for being pick up, picked up or a, a name calling or, or anything that can happen. It's how we how we take that on, how we respond to it. This is why I think actually the small T's are somewhat more dangerous than the bigger T's because the bigger T's you identify and you can figure out, okay, you know, I got into a fight when I was 17 or we had a miscarriage, et cetera, et cetera. The small T's I think are the more troublesome ones in one regard in that we don't often know that they exist. We don't know. We don't notice them. Why I'm doing this at 45 is because of something that happened to me when I was three years old by, I don't know, going up to a group of kids who were playing and then, they just ignored me and then suddenly I find it difficult to go and approach new groups of people and it yeah. actually comes out when it was happened when I was three years old and I took this meaning that people don't approach me whereas in reality who knows right three years old they don't even play together anyway um but that becomes a traumatic experience and these uh, and what I want to lead to actually is what happens to these little t's in our physical body because I think a lot of people don't realize and you may have a different opinion on this and that that's fine is that those those small traumas, all those small traumas, all these, and I think we can recognize this more when it comes to stress, but those small traumas create a physical imprint, as it were, on the body in some way, shape or form. And if you're listening to this and you're struggling to understand, like if you just imagine times when you get really stressed and you're feeling really stressed. And that, so for me, I, I experience stress a lot in my neck, in my neck and shoulder area. When I feel stress, I can feel that tightening up, specifically the right side of my neck. And if I felt like that day in, day out, I'm going to end up with quite a crook neck. Now, this is a physical manifestation of a psychological thing that's going on. The yeah. same thing happens with our all these small traumas that happen, these big traumas, small traumas. They, they do have a physical component on us. And I don't think we're really aware of that. And it wasn't until I, uh, about 10 years ago, did this uh, thing called uh, matrix re-imprinting, which we can talk about a little bit because it's a, a modality to help with trauma. And it's quite an interesting one. And that was when I first, I guess, was illuminated to the idea that all of these small things, right, being left at the supermarket, being waiting to pick up a school, are considered traumas. Because before that, I was a bit like you. And I thought, well, 
and I've had some incidents happen to me in the past, which have been actually one very similar to that. Uh, well, I think I was about 15 and I was in the scouts and it was a silly thing actually at that time where um, I was hiking with three of my mates and we were 15 at the time and we were practicing for this race called the Chiltern 20, which is a 20 mile race through the through the hiking grounds and stuff, and which actually we won it like two or three years in a row. But anyway, we were down some country lane somewhere and this this group of motorcyclists were riding past or something. Now, I think one of them did something as he passed us. I don't know whether he gave us the finger or something like that, but he did something, I think, that warranted me to respond. So I gave him the finger and then turned around and proceeded to give him the finger while he could see it in the, in the rear view mirror. And then what happened is he stopped his motorbike. He came riding back by himself. There's four of us, all 15, but then, and he's there with his levers and his motorcycle helmet still on. And he smacks me clean across the, the face and it knocks me across the the street. But I remember thinking, hey, I, I stayed up, right? I didn't, I didn't get knocked down. Uh, I had ringing in my ear for about, must have been about a week or 10 days after that, because it really got me on my left ear. And, you know, I, I don't think that, for me, that was a traumatic experience per se, like yours, you're not considering yours to be a traumatic experience. Um, I, I guess. I mean, the well, fact that well, we recall, the fact we're recalling it means it does sit in there somewhere, right? It's a memory that oh, yeah, stays I mean, in the brain. But I think for me, it meant, it meant, again, it meant like, beware, be wary of, how I act on people, right? Because you don't know how they're going to respond. Uh, it also meant to me, uh, I felt like I was strong enough to take a, to take a hit. And also, it also meant to me that you can't always rely on your mates because also, yeah, you know, they're sure. 15, they're, 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 you know, scared themselves. Uh, and you can't always rely on your mates to, to kind of, maybe, actually, interestingly, thinking about it now, maybe it meant that I, because I, I, I've been quite independent in terms of like, I don't rely on a lot of people a lot of the time and I don't, which is not great in terms of delegation of the things. And maybe that that was just another thing. I mean, so you're doing now me... what I've been doing for the last two weeks. I mean, well, maybe yeah. that's why. And maybe that's why. And things yeah. we don't do this enough, right? And if we have a coach, and if I'm coaching people, this is what it's about. It's about asking yourselves questions and then ref a gentle reflection, the reflecting, and where does that lead us to? It can lead us to some amazing things. You, you giving me that example, or listening out loud, I, I want to get into the modality piece because obviously we don't just want to talk about our traumas all the way through the show and not give people yeah. why we're going there because there are things we can do and, and the things that can help us along the way. But also just talking about opening like we are now can lead to insight. So you just let, just you giving you that story has reminded me of something that I hadn't really considered. So I'm going to go back into the rabbit hole. But um, yeah, go for it. So, this is a trauma that I haven't even suffered, but you're talking about the, the little things and yet I have. So let me explain this to you. And this is absolutely true. And this this is deep rooted for me. Um, and bless my mum, I love it a bit. But my mum had a recurring dream when I was a child and she had it every single year. And that recurring dream is, uh, or was, should I say, I think I was about 17 when this day in inverted commas supposed to have happened. But she used to dream, and I from about the age of about four or five years old, that I drowned and died. Right. And as her son, this was a very traumatic dream for her. My mum is quite spiritual anyway, and she would, you know, she's a big believer in certain signs and dreams. And she's, you know, if, you, if you're that way inclined, these things are even more real. And she'd have this every single year. So if I anyway, growing up anywhere near water, my mum was always a little bit petrified for me because she'd had these dreams. Even if, or even though I've been younger than the age that I was in her dream, dreams can tell different stories and they meet, um, have different meanings. So anyway, of course, yeah. growing up then, being sporty and, and doing the things that I do, I, I learned to swim quite quickly and I like being out and I'd go fishing and do different things. 
But then I decided to, I must have been, must have been 18. I must have been 18 in a dream because I would decide to go to university in Plymouth, Plymouth University. It was on Ex, but Exmouth campus, right on the seafront. And my mum was petrified. You can't go there. Go anywhere, but not there. So there's me as a 17-year-old going off to university by the sea. She's convinced I'm going to drown. I'm like a year away from this dream coming true. So I always had to check in. Don't you know? Don't go and get drunk and run into the sea, which of course I did on many, many occasions. So how old were you in the dream? How old were you? I think in I was the 18. Dream? I think oh, I was okay. 18. When I died. But I went to uni at 17 on August birthday, and it was in that kind of my first year was the year in inverted commas it should have happened. Of course, I got older and, and surpassed that. But because dreams tell us different things. It's created a fear in my mum when I'm near water, even now. And I've done some silly things. I've, I've drank a, only a few years ago, drank a bottle of champagne and then swam out to a boy that was way too far out. And then coming back, you think, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I could cramp. I'm at my depth. Could anyone see me? You get these moments. But they come. The reason I think I panic is because I've got my mum's voice that's been telling me every single year from the age that I can remember, four or five years old, of, I'm going to drown in water. <laughs> which makes me petrified of the stuff. So I go and do these Ironman events, which are 3.8K swims in the sea. I train in open water. I do the whole thing scared out of my wits that this could be my time. And you might laugh, right? I'm laughing mm. as I say it because it's so ridiculous. But somewhere imprinted in, in the back of my brain is this fear that if I am going to go early, that my mortality will be taken by, not by disease, not by yeah. you know an accident. It's going to be taken by me drowning somewhere because that's yeah. what my mum dreamt for a recurring every single year for the first you know 18 years of my life and i think that's that's although i've never actually drowned obviously but there's a trauma there of her telling me that dream and she's doing it to protect me of course she is and because she worries yeah. but it's made me change my actions in water it's made me panic in water it's made me be less confident right. and it's funny how these things slowly but surely so i think it's that the small t's can be cumulative i think so i wanted to go with it it's, yeah. It can be really small, but if it happen over and over again at different times, Absolutely. it can become much bigger. And by the way, I'm well, still pretty much by going into open water. <laughs> I'll do it. Yeah, I have I to do the training, you. but I hate it every time. Heart rate's like 180, and I'm going like no speed. I just want to get out as she fast as I can. to do triathlons and all sorts, so she must really love that, the fact you're going in the water all the time. But, I mean, again, these these small tees, or uh, these might all be in-between tees, to be honest, they, they do add up, and they do create this i guess could create um an imbalance or a disease in the body and in, in it in and of itself and it's interesting that you talk say that your mum is a bit more spiritually inclined because because you tend to be in my in the conversations we've had i think you've you've changed a little bit in the last few years but i'm kind of more that way than than i would say that you are in those conversations yeah. uh purely based on what i've learned in the last 15 years or so and and so it's quite interesting that you're you're kind of the opposite to to her and i wonder if that's the influence that you had um maybe growing up and thinking i don't want to be just because well it was just because that person has been visualizing or thinking about this or dreaming about this i, I don't want it to become that prophecy so i now i'm turning myself against that sort of idea yeah. of thinking because because which i, I do try I and do but it doesn't mean i'm not petrified when i do it <laughs> just in yeah case I'm... well that's the thing <laughs> It's because you we 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 can say we don't believe it, but on some level the body, you know, the the body does. You know, so it's not even the mind a lot of the time. Where you say, oh, it's in the back of your mind. It's in your cells. All, all of these traumas yeah. result yeah. in your cells. And and you know, talking about the modalities, there are lots of different ways that we can get rid of traumas. And and the one I was talking about, matrix reimprinting, it's quite interesting. I think you've heard of EFT before, right? Tapping, emotional freedom technique. Have you heard of that one? Before? Yes. Yeah. I'm not sure. Not not heard of your matrix. The yeah, so the reason I'm explaining EFT first because it it, it plays into to matrix okay. reprinting. So, so for those listening, um, the simplest way of explaining emotional freedom technique or, or tapping is 
imagine acupuncture but without the needles and what you're doing is you're strategically seven to ten times tapping on different parts of your your body and there are specific areas that that you now tap on like the top of the head and outside the eyebrow and, and just where the eyebrow meets the nose and um where else i think it's uh, the top of the lip and bottom of the lip and different places like that but they're they're the same spots um it, it developed over time to realize that actually they're, they're the spots that need to happen and you do that whilst talking about your anxiety or your fear or your trauma and before you go through that process you grade it so if i was to say ask you for example okay let's say for example that fight that you had when you're 17 if you're thinking back on that for argument's sake i know it's not like a seven or an eight it's probably a, a one or a zero but let's say if it was a seven then we would do some tapping exercises while talking about it and then see how that feels or if you're feeling anxiety and it's a level eight you do a bit of tapping it might go down to like a three or four or whatever so this has helped a lot of people and i'm not an expert in it although i have done some of the basic courses five ten day courses in it and, and to be honest it's not that complicated but it's always about the nuance of how you how you approach it with the client but matrix reimprinting takes it a little bit of a step further and it introduces the concept of effectively tapping on your younger self. So what you do is you essentially go in your imagination, as it were, back to a traumatic experience. For example, um, let's say there was that traumatic experience that you had and you came back from that fight or that, that, that uh, altercation that you had and and you remember there was a time in your in your bedroom and you were, you know, I don't know, afraid or whatever it might be. You would go back to that time and see yourself there and then guide yourself in your in your head. This is all in your head through tapping on that sure. person or you as as your 42 year old self would tap on your 17 year old self and then uh, then help that 17 year old self deal with that trauma then. Because what we're trying to do a lot of the time now is deal with the trauma as a 42-year-old or 45-year-old yeah. that happened to a 17-year-old. And actually, it's way more effective to deal on the 17-year-old itself, uh, himself or herself. And so that's effectively what matrix re-imprinting is. I haven't done a very good job in describing it to all those matrix re-imprinted practitioners listening, but that's effectively it. And this can become a very powerful uh, modality. And I've used it with clients before. Uh, and a combination of that and something called timeline therapy, where you you take people through different times of their life through different lenses. So you would see that experience as an adult, because a lot of the time when you see something as a seven year old or a six year old or a five year old, you're seeing it through those eyes and it, you show sure. a meaning. Whereas, for example, you go back and let's say in your, in your memory, you uh, your parents get divorced at six years old and all you did was hear them fighting or something. And then you blame yourself or they didn't love you or this or the other. You go back and you see that experience as a 30 year old or 40 year old and you see actually it had nothing to do with you and you know they were arguing in the, the kitchen and you were in the lounge and it was nothing to do with you being naughty or not putting your toys away or whatever the thing might be which then made you into a, like a tidiness freak or something it had nothing to do with you and you see it through those different eyes and sometimes you can go through that that journey a few times and see it differently and I find that these are really, really powerful ways right, that you can deal with these traumas as long as you're aware of them yeah. in the first place. As a thing. Yeah, which is a good um, thing to, to highlight as well, the awareness piece. I mean, I, th I think um, one thing that's really important just to mention, like me and Harry are not, we're not trauma therapists here so as a disclaimer no. you know if you if you are suffering with any major traumas you do need to, you know I, I do recommend you, you you seek professional help but we have an understanding and that's why we're pretty much focused on the small t's for today as well but 
as you were saying, you mentioned something I thought was really interesting at the start of that, which was it's in it's not just in your head, it's in your cells, in your whole being, how we hold it. And we, you know, I talked earlier about the the prefrontal cortex is where we, you know, we become overwhelmed, we hold things in our emotions, in our in our in our heads in that context. And we can have overwhelm. And if we have if we can't sort of empty that a little bit and, and talk about it, then that overwhelm can turn into depression and anxiety and we have difficulty managing stresses. And what you were talking about there is going back and actually the way I would look at it is you're releasing some of that we're letting some of that out which is what we need Absolutely. to do because we hold on to it now i i release my stress or my trauma whatever it is through exercise predominantly that's the, my way of of you know trying to release the demons talking out loud talking to yourself when when we met in thai, thai garden um restaurant and spoke for nine hours continuously to the whole every single person at the restaurant had left that was just you and me chatting and it's amazing when you reflect and i'm a big fan of reflections as well when you look back at it and go, oh, we talked, we covered a lot of ground and we probably did cover areas of the, related to trauma because we, we talked about our lives. And just that talking can just release some of that, that, I don't the know, talking the definitely. trauma from the cells. I think that for me, and what I would, I would ask you in a second is, is that although talking is good and it's great and it can help with those things, the challenge for me personally as well, as someone who's a bit more cerebral and in their head, is that you you may not realise that 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 that's the, the thing that's bothering you. You may have no recollection of what it is that's bothering you. And so what, have you ever tried um, flotation tanks and sem- sensory deprivation t- uh, tanks? No. Yeah, no. Are you familiar with what they are at all? I'm familiar with what they are. I, I think I, I, for me, actually, there's a there's, they've got some alternative... Um, Therapy things here in in Exmouth probably like all places, and there's there's a place that doesn't look similar kind of things here that my my wife so, saying you should give it a try. But yeah, so I haven't well, done it myself. No. Well, I, I would recommend it for you for a couple of different reasons. But for those of you that are not uh, familiar with it who are listening, uh, sensory deprivation or flotation tank is is like imagine a big bath with a lid over the top of it. So you, Mind you, you, you are in water right now, so I'll probably be immediately terrified because of my story. Yeah, yeah, this is actually a good point, actually, because what happens is you go in and, and the water is filled with um, magnesium salts or Epsom salts to a concentration that you would never get to by filling your own bath up with magnesium salts. It's, it's roughly the same concentration as, is it the Dead Sea or the Red Sea? I can't remember which one it is, but the one where you basically just float on the top of the water. Yeah. And so you go in there and the water temperature is roughly, I think, 37 or around the same as your body core temperature. temperature. Yeah. And the, the, the idea behind that, and, and you can have a light on, although normally I turn the light off and they have some sounds for the first five minutes and the last five minutes. And you're in there for about 45 minutes or an hour is that you, you you're floating and you can't see anything. It's pitch black and you can't tell where your skin ends and the cosmos begins really because everything's the same temperature and there's nothing for you to touch. And the first time I went to one of those things, I've done, a, done them maybe a dozen, two dozen times now. And uh, I actually joined up after the first experience because I had this experience where I was lying there and you can have a little neck thing to support your neck, but you don't really need it. it will, your, your head will float anyway. But I got to the point where you're so relaxed and the magnesium helps as a muscle relaxant anyway. And I remember... <laughs> At one point, feeling and literally coughing out tension that I'd felt in my right. I, I know that that's where it came from. And I coughed it. And it's like a, there was a sting come out of my mouth. And, and suddenly I was like, and after that one, that was my kind of spiritual experience, if you like. And I, I was sold on it. So I signed up for like a 12, 12 month program. Uh, and then I, you know, I never got back to that same same level or a couple of times I have. But but that I would suggest for you anyway, because um, from a purely muscular 
muscular perspective you do so much training you've got like probably tight muscles and you know if you want to recover really well magnesium is is the way yeah i agree on I definitely can uh, sell the benefits of magnesium for sleep as well, by the way. Yeah, for sleep. I mean, so I, I would say, but I guess for the, the point that we're talking about, the, the little T and the big T and all of this, is that especially if we're carrying tension, let's call it tension rather than trauma, but that that trauma, all these little things that have created some level of tension in our body. And we don't really know that maybe we could talk about it for four hours and suddenly we'll, we'll release it. Yeah. That could, that could really work, um, especially if you don't know why you've got it or where it is that would be one of the things that i would i would suggest and also something that i've not tried massively but i i mean i've done a lot of breath work techniques but um there are different breathing techniques rebirthing holotrophic breathing transformational breath work which go beyond the whole wim hof style and i've been in sessions where we've been breathing for half an hour an hour we're lying on the floor and and people are literally in floods of tears screams moan and they don't know why they don't know why um but it's it's this trapped up trauma that is being released from the body in some way shape or form and they may not even realize afterwards what it represented but they just feel lighter they feel freer it's um it's interesting yeah. as a reference because a friend of mine posted an instagram uh, video this week um, she she races for an obstacle course racing team that I'm part of called Nuclear Phoenix, and she won't mind me saying it because she she published this publicly, so hopefully she, she there's no nothing wrong with me sharing this. But she's um just done a, a Everest base camp trip. She she's a, a professor of sports science and, and lectures at university, and um or doctor of sports science, and she did this Everest base camp experiment as part of her studies and things. And she just posted a video. She got to the Everest base camp. She'd been there once before, so it wasn't the first time. Mm. She sat down and for no reason, well, no reason at all, I say in inverted commas. She just started bawling her eyes out and someone mm -hmm. filmed it and she actually put the post up and said this came from nowhere don't know why just had to let it out it was a release and i cried for like 15 minutes and felt so much better and everyone was supportive and yes someone did film it but was was caring and looking after her and, and just and documented as it happened um but as a release it was it was really powerful just to watch a friend cry but it wasn't a cry of, of where well, you wanted to you know she, she kind of you read the post and it tells you I'm not looking for sympathy or anything like that. It was just a, re just a release. It was just something that came mm. out of from what would have been quite a probably tough experience of getting to Everest base camp and the trekking and the air, the oxygen, the lack of digital, the digital detox, probably all those kind of things that kind of play in, but it's to watch someone else just cry, but cry in a way where they're, they're not afraid of crying and doing it quite openly. I think it was quite a powerful, I think one of the most powerful Instagram videos I've seen one of my friends post generally and, um, and mm. the support on that post kind of come and demonstrated that. Um, like, I don't know if the flotation tank stuff sounds great. I'd be well up for that kind of thing. But it's not accessible for everybody. Um, but I'd like to get your take. No, but breathwork breath work generally can be because um, you have to be a bit careful with the breathwork stuff because I know there's a lot of online stuff you can do um, where you may be on a, on a live online retreat, as it were. But usually this kind of breathwork, um, you, you would require a, a sitter or... Or in a in a in an environment that you can you know you can be in with um, other people rather than purely online, but it is probably more accessible than maybe the float tank for a lot of people. But I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that with the trauma, because again, people listening to this might be thinking, I haven't got trauma. We all have trauma. We all have trauma, and that could be the big stuff, could be the little T stuff or the big T stuff that you've been talking about, or it could be those really tiny things that you're just not even aware of. Yeah. That 
you know, you're, you know, I, uh, okay, here's a, here's a thing with um, what would be a little T, but it's not really because it made an impression on me. I remember one time, I don't know if my friends who are involved will be listening to this or not. I've shared this podcast with them. I don't know if they're the people to subscribe, but I won't mention their name, but two of my good friends at uh, at uh, secondary school. And I remember I went around to my friend's house once and I was probably 12 years old, 12 or 13 years old at the time. And I, I, they they kept asking me these weird questions because I was, um, I'd started, had a girlfriend. Okay. And, you know, we'd only dated a few weeks, I guess, but they were asking me these weird questions about, you know, if I liked her or, and also the way that we got together was a bit of a, a ruse. Like we were pretending to be boyfriend and girlfriend to make someone else jealous in some way. Then we ended up becoming boyfriend and girlfriend. Anyway, and then I was hearing something happening next door and then the door opened and closed and left and and they were like, oh, it's just my sister. It's, it's no one really. And then it transpired later that it was this girl was there. And I felt really kind of betrayed by, by my two best mates and why they were, guess colluding together um and i think that you know these little things again again as we talk about them, and i've thought about this before but they all lead to okay maybe that's why you're not as trusting in this way or maybe you're not uh dependent on other people in the same way because you have all these little experiences that then lead you to believe that and you might not put them all together sure and so Yes, talking about it can help, but I think um, if they're even more subtle than that and you don't know that you're holding on to these things, then these other modalities, I don't know if you've come across anything that can help you other than what we've talked about like with the EFT and the breathing and the flotation. Yeah, well, there are some. T- this is going to sound terrible. You've just given me a traumatic story and I'm going to... Um... I'm just going to tell you what, what first came to my mind when you started saying it. And this, I apologise because it made me laugh. For any Alan Partridge fans out there, you might understand this. I'm going to lighten the mode a little bit. But you said you know, I had two school friends. You kind of gave a bit of detail away. And I won't give their names away, but I don't even remember the Alan Partridge uh, sketch. But you, I was almost imagining you to say, I've got two friends. I won't give their surnames away, but I'm talking about Jose and Pedro from Little Shepton. Uh, you know, but in order to save their <laughs> identities, I won't tell you their surnames. I feel like you gave us everything there. <laughs> they will definitely know who you're referring they'll, to. They'll probably know who they, who they are because they, yeah, they, yeah. it happens. They, they, you know what? Actually, they might not because for them, it might have just been a normal Tuesday. Right, and they got, well, they, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it won't register um, that I'm talking about those those, those people. In, in, maybe if they remember the whole situation, it will. But I think for they're not. The, the point is that they maybe weren't doing this maliciously or to collude with each other. It was just kid stuff, right? And I, I think sometimes, and this came up when we were doing matrix reimprinting and and uh eft i think it was is that let's say this trauma is you know you were six years old and your other six-year-old friends made fun of you in some way now you're a 45 year old man are you saying that if a six-year-old right now came up to you and they started making fun of you you'd actually be offended or you know take that to heart too much probably not so why are you letting that happen now because you're every day you're letting that six-year-old that's kind of where I was going to go. I think there's a there's a point here where we've got to take some accountability for who we are now as well. Not always let the past govern who we are now. We got some. So you mentioned Gabo Marte earlier, and a little bit here we've got to. Well, I say we've got to. In my opinion, and this is you know everyone's got to deal with it differently. But whether it's breath work, whether it's meditation, whether it's practicing mindfulness techniques, whether it's exercise for me and running, a lot of it is about 
letting go of the past and focusing on the present. We talked in the floor about the, pre- the breath work takes us immediately into the present. And if we we don't, this, I think I don't know who said it. But I don't know if anyone said it, but I'm not sure I've heard it out there somewhere. You can become a prisoner in your own mind if you don't let things go. Now, there's a, a Gabo Mate talks about in, in one of his books uh, a really um, major incident in his life where he hits his three-year-old son for not singing happy birthday to him. Now, go and listen to the book and read it if you want to find out more about that particular story. But what he says there is, look, it's not that he's not ashamed of of what happened at the time, but he no longer holds shame, regret or guilt to that action because he changed who he was after that action. And actually the things that pull us back into the the world of trauma and and, and fills our our minds and our cells and everything else, our our mindset and all the things that happen to us, when we don't let that stuff go and the shame and the guilt can be absolutely paralyzing. And he doesn't look back now. It's not just paralyzing for him. He talks about his child. He co-wrote his last book with his son, who I think is now 39-ish years. I think he's 39 years old. And his son doesn't want to be referred to all the time as being the boy that got slapped, as if it changed him. Because he's like, look, mm. the, the dad I remember was an amazing dad. I, was, I don't remember that. Maybe he does. Maybe it's locked in there somewhere. But ultimately, he doesn't want his own life to be, you know, be governed by an incident that happened when he was three years old either. So he talks about it quite openly and says, look, it's, it's something that shouldn't have happened, but I have to let go of the guilt and the shame and the regret because it did happen. I can't change it. It's happened. It's out there. I can't pull it back. What I can do is is is, is reflect and use the learnings to, to become a better human being for tomorrow and be present today. And I think that's really powerful. I think there's a, you know, I can't change what happened to me when I was 16 or 17, but I can let some of that go. And I, I don't want that to hold me back to the person I want to be tomorrow. Yeah. There's, a, there's a story, um, you know, I like my Zen Buddhist yeah. stories, but there is one out there where, you know, I think there's a woman who comes to a Zen master with some trauma and he she talks to him about the innocence she suffered. And he says, would you like a cup of tea? And he pours the cup of tea. And as she's talking, he continues to pour until the, pu- the cup starts overflowing, going going everywhere. And she says to him, you know, the tea is spilling everywhere. You need, you need to stop pouring. And he said, well, your cup is already full of pain and trauma. I can't help you until you empty your cup. Similarly, I can't pour you any more tea until you empty the tea in front of yeah. you. It's kind of saying we've got to empty it first. And I think what you talked about there with the the emptiness of the people just crying or yelling out in the breath work exercise that you've been a part of, or whether it was you leaving your the trauma in your in your muscle pain, we did the flotation tank. Or for me, I think talking is incredibly powerful. That's why I love coaching people, talking people through and hearing. When you say things out loud, they sound different to how they sound in your head. You can sometimes surprise yourself. You speak out loud and go, oh, I just I just said that. What, what That feels different to how I thought it would feel. And just emptying our cups. So whether that's emptying ourselves, emptying yeah. our minds, whatever technique it is we need, if we're holding on to the small T traumas, or go and navigate, see what they are, and then see if you can just let them go in whatever mindfulness or, or or technique you want to deploy but i do yeah. think it's important we we don't we don't hold the or label it with the guilt and the shame that we often carry along with us and i think if you look back i'm going to label it back to my small t there is some guilt there and i had never realized it the guilt for me was the one that got away so my two friends got the you know broken bones and all of them changed mm-hmm. their lives and took two very different focuses and i was all right and i think there's some guilt there why was i the one that was okay well how was that fair that's why it hasn't impacted me because I didn't, you know, yeah, I got punched and hit like you did with that individual, but ultimately it was bruises and and it was the the ego and the psychological battering, definitely, but I didn't appreciate it at the time. But there's yeah. definitely some guilt and shame that I didn't like they did, that I didn't go and, you know, for example, a guy, one of my friends getting kicked in the head while he was unconscious by five guys. I was being chased by two of them. I could have run towards him, but I was running away from the other two. There's little things you could have done differently, 
yeah. who knows how that would have turned out but there's shame and there's 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 guilt there that i need to let go it was 25 years ago yeah. it's not it's... For me now but i just think it's uh, yeah i don't know where i'm going with that really but i, I think there's an empty no, I, mean, I think that's why it can be helpful absolutely i mean it's the, the old frozen adage right let it go it's all about letting it go yeah and yeah there you go i think it's it's so much easier said than done and, and we haven't talked about it now but I, I i was in another altercation with um some people down in bournemouth like 20 years ago now with my brother-in-law and um and again there was i think three three guys it, it, similar to you ended up in court and all sorts of things he actually ended up um hitting his head on the curb and having a brain aneurysm and they they tried to say that it could have happened at any time and it wasn't necessarily been smacked in the head and hitting the concrete but as a result of that now subsequently he has um we think that the fluid eventually went down his spine and now he's got this spinal condition which makes it very difficult for him to walk and have balance and it's called a arachnoiditis wow. which has got no no cure to it and th wow. this happened like 10 years ago the the the, the spinal thing so it happened like 10 years after the initial fight and um i feel guilt uh to some degree and i'm doing my best to let that go and he said let it all go and he doesn't actually remember what happened on the night of the fight but i won't go into the details of it but i feel somewhat responsible for the, the altercation in the first place but at the end of the day they're the ones that threw through the punches and, and came at came at us it yeah wasn't the other way yeah. around yeah but we were just defending ourselves so um so i i guess it's it's i guess what i'm saying, trying to say is it's a lot easier said than done the the idea of letting go and and i think I don't know. I guess part of the journey maybe is to acknowledge that you're holding on to that in the first place, because you've got to acknowledge you've got a full cup in the first place uh, in order to empty it. Um, Something really interesting that came to mind. I, I, listened, I, I think it was Simon Ong. Um, he wrote a book called Energize, which I recommend. It's a really good book. He says that it's impossible to be grateful and unhappy at the same time. For me, that's really powerful because you were talking about then you've got to, you've got to be aware of your cup being full as well and being aware of what we have because we can we can get caught up in the unhappiness of the things that have gone on for some people that i understand that's incredibly difficult for some majorly traumatic incidents that may have gone through but also so i'm like i did a, a podcast on my my other show the hr one with an individual who uh, was a survivor of the um, children of god cult now for those that aren't familiar google it this is pretty traumatic stuff you know we're talking about sexual abuse and, and, and mental abuse and physical abuse and all kind of things from a very young age and yet, when I spoke to her, this individual on, on my interview, um, I haven't released it yet, so I won't, I won't disclose the name at this point, but it's due to come out. But she talks about how she actually wouldn't necessarily change anything because of the social connection she made during that time. They're, they're the closest friends she could ever have. And had she not been through those experiences and that, tra that trauma, big, big T trauma stuff in my mind, um, she would never have had the friends that she has now in her life and and she would never swap those friends for anybody she has to go through the the, the yang or the yin whatever way, which way around it is to get to where she is now and although she wouldn't wish her that upon anybody else that's her life but she still right now yeah. views her and she nearly did take her own life when she went through the hard part of that she's come through the other side and that's very much what we talk about but it was really interesting when she said that um she she's very very grateful when you anyone else looking at me how could you be grateful for the life that you've had and she's she can now say that she's happy you can't be grateful and unhappy at the same time. I just thought it was a really interesting thing. And there's a book, I haven't read it, but I've audio booked it, um, which is called Trauma and Recovery. So I'm not a trauma expert by any stretch. But a really interesting book was by Dr. Judith Herman. And she said one of the things in that, and this is talking about big T stuff again here, people that suffer certainly big T trauma, they need to be empowered to take their own choices and decisions about their recovery. So yeah. you and I, I can't tell you to let it go. That isn't going to help. No. I'm, I'm not giving you, you've got to take the, the ownership of that choice yeah. away, what, what you want to do, whether it's breath work, whether it's not, you know, going back yeah. into 
being vulnerable, whatever, someone else telling you to let it go isn't the answer. It's 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 how we navigate yeah. that separately. It's about taking responsibility a lot of the time. Now you could not necessarily responsibility for the thing that happened to you, um, but like you say, responsibility for your own recovery from it. And I say to people who who are challenged with this, and it's a bit cliche again, but I say, you know, if you're not responsible, then you can't be response able, because if you put that onto something or someone else, you've got no power to make the change to to the thing that happened to you. So even though you're not to blame, because blame might be a different situation, if you find that you can be responsible for it in some way, then you can be response able and you can be able to move forward. It's like if a if a new CEO comes into a failing company, yes, they're not to blame for all the things that happened to that company. But if they stand there in front of the press and say, you know, I take responsibility for where we are now and where we're going to go forward and how we're going to get through this, you know, the stock price will probably be fine, right? If they start blaming everything on other people, yeah. then you've got no power to make the change yourself. So it is about taking responsibility for where you are, not necessarily you're to blame for what happened to you, but you can be responsible going forward for, for your recovery. Um, but I just wanted to, as we were talking earlier, and uh, maybe bring it to a, a slightly more tangible point for people uh, in their everyday, in that what, what suddenly jumped at me is sometimes we have lots of conversations with people at work and, and we're left with, with what I would call a little bit of a charge. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, there, there's something that's irritated us in what they've done, right? Maybe they've shown up to the meeting late or unprepared, or maybe they've um, taken credit for work that was really two of you working together. And we don't say anything, right? Because we don't want to ruffle feathers. We don't want to, you know, we think it's not a big deal. But all the low, small charges do build up over time. And what you were talking about before about talking, uh, and that was in the context of us having our chats in that, that yeah. high garden else um but what do you see being working in hr working in all those um with people all the time uh as your advice i guess to to it's not conflict because it's not conflict resolution it's just that something is is leaving a charge or an unsavory taste in your mouth and your interaction with people which again we could call as little teas here because these are you know, in the playground, it's easy to say, oh, you know, these people are bullying you. But when you're in your 30s and 40s and you go, well, they're not really bullying me, but they're just, you know, taking it's a bit of credit here. Essentially, when you're 30 or 40, though, you realise that there's probably something going on in the bully's life that we're not aware of that's probably traumatic in their own their own lives, right? We have, we have the, the sense, sense to understand now that often those that are bullies are going through something themselves, not, not to make the bullying acceptable by any stretch. But we, we understand it more than we are at face value when we're just mm -hmm. being confronted by a bully in front of us. Um, so going back to where you were, I think we can incorporate everything you've mentioned. I mean, I'm a big believer in breathing seven times before I'm going to make a really, you know, if I feel like I need to react impulsively, that's some something in term, inside will say I need to breathe seven times here because otherwise I'm going to react in a way that I'm not going to like potentially right and i'm you know and we, we have that fight flight or freeze sometimes i will go into fight mode and i'll come straight out that defensive bit that i talked about right at the start of the show take seven breaths reflect and then see if my reaction is the same it, it very rarely is and so i think that's something we can do to, to manage it i think something really interesting though is um when we are often triggered by the things that happen someone being late for example we think it's rude i'm using that as a really simple example we're in an hr meeting and someone turns up late we don't know what's actually happened in that individual's life right. to the reason why they are late. Maybe they've had traumatic news. Maybe there's been a major accident. Maybe they are just late as well, by the way. But we don't know. But we, we're so quick to react and to judge. And actually, I think if, 
sometimes we're wrong. We, it's like with road rage. Someone cuts you up and we get all angry. We don't know why they've done it. Or maybe they're rushing because their child's being into hospital and they weren't thinking. I don't know. But I do think there's a way that we can change the narrative in our minds to create a better narrative for ourselves just to ease that stress. Because we create that own st- we create that stress oh, in our body by our, by our reaction to it. As you say, we're giving meaning to something, which you talk about a lot, I right? Mean, we feel what we think. If we're pissed off by someone being late, then we're going to start feeling pissed off ourselves. And, and, and it's, oh, yeah. it's just not helpful. When you were talking about road rage there, it reminds me of a story. And I do write about this in the in the in the next book. But I was at um this was oh, years ago, 10, 15 years ago. I was at a set of traffic lights nearby and I was going straight. And there were three lanes, I think there were, and I was in the lane that I should have been in, and I was driving, and this guy who was on my left, so I should have really gone in front of him if I'm on the right, um, was on my left and was like putting his foot down to 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 get ahead and he got really irritated with me and you know did a bit of road rage through through his window and i and i immediately i thought to myself similar to what you say right i don't know what's going on right and i thought to myself actually i feel sorry for him that he's not able to manage his irritation or his impatience in another way and he's able to do that and so i just let it be and i was like you know so i didn't hold on to it i let, let it go however and i don't normally take that route so I hadn't taken that route again for now four years or something. And then I was taking that route again. And then what I realized is that the lane that I was in was a right turn only lane, not going straight. So he was actually right yeah. because I was wrong in that I was going straight when I should have been turning right. And I thought, and then it suddenly made sense why he was getting irritated with me. And I thought to myself, I'm really glad that in that moment I didn't, make a deal of it and try and react with him Stick your finger up and having him chase you down and punch you across the street actually i was wrong i was totally wrong we've all we've all done that right i mean no no one i think everyone listening to this who could say there's some time in their life where they've they've reacted in a way and realized they were on the wrong i think there's also a bit here where you can think about look sometimes we're we're unhappy the way people react to us because of the way that, that we see the world but actually if you put yourself in the other person's shoes with the upbringing they had with the education they had with the you know, social and economic background they have with with all the little things that play into the personality that they have. It's only when you think about it in that context, you have to ask yourself, would I have reacted the same? And we can never really answer the question because we have our, you know, you and I were brought up differently, different households, different parts of the world, different parental views, different political views, all those things shape who we are in this moment. And sometimes we're, we're quick to judge based on who we are. And actually, we've got to let that, for me, we got, it's not always easy, by the way, and I'm by no means perfect, but we've got to try and leave no. that ego at the door. Um, there's one thing that that is true. I t- talked to my daughter about this literally last week. Um, we are many things, like we say, I am happy, I am angry, I am a footballer, I am a parent, uh, I am a business person, I am an entrepreneur, I am an Ironman, whatever. The only thing that's absolutely true, true in all of those statements all of the time is I am. Everything else yeah. is a label. Everything else we've labeled, I am, you know, you can bring this into a traumatic context. I am a victim, I am uh, unfortunate, I am, you know, whatever. The only thing that's really, really true in there is the I am. And, and well-being is innate. We, if you think about it in that context, and I think that's why when Dr. Judith Herman in her book talks about giving people choices, not always, but in many traumatic incidents, we didn't have a choice in that situation. It happened to yeah. us and you feel like it wasn't to us. So to, therefore, you don't want to be told anything. You want to have a choice in how you come out of it uh, in very simple yeah. terms. But well-being can be innate and is innate, actually. It's how we view it. It's how our own thought processes, letting the stresses go, breathing, bringing ourselves into the present, not feeling shame and guilt 
or holding on to shame and guilt, I should say, uh, from things yeah. that happened years ago, if we're able to let it go, um, not judging everyone else by our own reactions immediately. We've all got moral compasses. I'm not saying there aren't people out there that are just, oh, you know, in the way that they do things are very, very different to my moral <laughs> compass. If that happens. I'm not saying everyone is perfect by any stretch, but sometimes we react too fast. And I think as long as we're able to live within our own moral compass with our own innate well-being and we're comfortable with the I am statement, you can add whatever label you want. What's the label you'd like to add to yourself? That's the bit I'd reflect on. You know, what's the I am you want to be? I, I am, you know, a wonderful parent. Well, I want to live that way. That's the person I want to be going forward. I am an athlete who competes at a high level. Well, that's the that's the route I'm going to take. So think about it's the labels choice. you want to have and let go of the ones that you don't, I think is a good starting point. But that starts with yeah. talking. For me, that's a really important element. And there's loads of other ways you can do, but talking to you, talking to my family, being vulnerable and talking, being emotional sometimes, looking at all the different spiritual bits. So I talk a lot. We've got different energy buckets. And I do a lot of the physical energy stuff. You know, I, I, I do exercise a lot. I don't get enough sleep. That's in the physical one, but I do a lot of physical energy. But whether or not I fill the, the spiritual one enough that you do, I could probably do a little bit more on the spiritual side. Um, and that can be around purpose and meaning and not just about, you know, meditation, but I could certainly fill that bucket a bit more. Emotional, I think I'm pretty in tune with. I'm not scared to cry in front of my family and be emotional. Um, but there's different, and men, the mental is the other bucket along with physical. So I think there's things we could all do to improve and, and be a, have an awareness, which links to your beat model, actually, the one we did last, last week. It, yeah, it does. But also I say that, interestingly, on the spiritual one, because the examples you were giving with the I am this, I am that, and that. Um, I remember we, we, we did this as an exercise in one of the practical philosophy courses that I did a number of years ago, which was exactly saying the same thing. It's like they were asking each person you know how would you describe yourself like, i'm a mother i'm a this i'm a that and and i think i i i guess had a bit of uh exploration in this area anyway so i just said i am i didn't say anything else i just said i am and he said look yes absolutely and he drew a line past the i ams because everything was the constant and this i guess what they were talking about was the i i guess you could call it your soul your spirit your your constant right what is what is your yeah. essence and the essence is the i am and almost the fact that you're saying that and using that as an example there and you've got I had no idea you'd done more... that by the way just those listening i had no idea you'd gone through this exercise ever no, yeah, but, but you're you're there you that could be your spiritual bucket in some way by by simply recognizing the i am ultimately could be the ultimate spiritual bucket because you recognize the unchanging nature of the i am which is the unnatured changer of who you are innate. Because at the end of the day, you are different from where you were 30 minutes ago, right? Your cells yeah, have changed. Sure. Certainly every seven years, most cells in our body are, are completely revamped. But what is the one constant? And it's that, whether it's your consciousness, your soul, your spirit, whatever. So you could actually be filling your spirit bucket without realizing it by explaining that to me right now, I feel. Um, yeah, well, so, listen, that's a, I think that's a good place to... Uh... I think probably so, so, almost yeah. I've, got to, I've got to mention one thing. I went to mention this at the start of the show okay. and we went yeah. into the, the trauma thing. So I did some reflective bits on our last uh, podcast and there was a bit that you mentioned with two things. One thing I mentioned, I was frustrated with myself for not clarifying. And one thing you mentioned which just made me chuckle. I know it's a good way to lighten the mode slightly when we're talking about some quite heavy, heavy stuff during the course of the show. But I mentioned how I need a lot of donuts and there's no good in a donut whatsoever. And I, you know, therefore I shouldn't do it. I'm going to challenge that. Of course, there's good in a donut. It's just the good is not nutritious. It's how it makes me feel when I see it and eat it. And I was too quick to to tell you it was a bad thing. And that was that's me holding guilt and shame towards that donut, mm. which I should not have done because actually I love a donut and I love it for all the right reasons, which is not the nutritious ones. It's for how it makes me feel and I enjoy eating it and I don't mind 
the the, the nutrition. I, I I take that decision. I think you said last time on the show you make decisions to eat bread and butter. I thought, ah, why didn't I use that opportunity to say that's why I eat donuts? It has a higher purpose of some sort. Exactly. The bit I wanted to bring up with you that just made me laugh. Okay, and you oh, made yeah. it quite. I wrote it down. You said I gave up alcohol for ten years after the incident you had where you drank too much wine, age twelve. Uh, well, I what I thought was really interesting is most people shouldn't be drinking age 12. The fact you gave up alcohol no. for the next six years where you're not even legally allowed to drink it wasn't that magnanimous yes. of you at the time. It just made, if you I read mean, it, listen to it back, you I had this incident when I was 12 and after that I gave up alcohol for the next 10 years. I was like, you weren't legally allowed to drink it then, Harry. It just made me laugh. It was like, that's 10 years of my yes. life. I mean, the age it, of 22. <laughs> I, I did. I, gave, I mean, just to clarify, I actually only gave up wine. I gave up alcohol for two years. Okay, why? I gave up wine. I gave up wine for 10 years and I was having this discussion with my folks. I think legally you can't really give it up till you're 18 though, right? And you gave it up when you were 12. It's like my nine-year-old saying, Daddy, I've given up wine. Good for you, son. We were given wine. (laughs) We were given wine and my parents were disputing this uh, the other day at dinner until we clarified. But we we were drinking wine from the age of five. Now, granted, that was literally like a finger, a finger depth of, of, in a small cup. But we, we were having wine at the table on a Sunday um, from that age. So by the time I was 12, I was, you know, I was quite used to drinking a little bit of wine. Um, but yeah, I gave it up. And actually to this day, and we talk about trauma again, but ending on a lighter note, um, I still don't really like wine. And, I, and, and it, I, when I take a sip of wine, somewhere in my brain, and I can almost see it sometimes, I'm flashing back to that time when I'm 12 years old at that wine festival. And that's a big part. There's a physical reaction in my body that just doesn't really like yeah. wine. So I... I rarely drink it. I, I get it. A lot of people, I think, have got the same memory, whether it's absinthe or vodka or gin. We've all had that moment where we just drank a bit. It was just yeah. about you said, I oh, gave I'm it up for me as well, but it just made me, it made me laugh. Yes, I know. My parents are great parents, by the way. So uh, um, they, they taught us well because none of us ended up uh, abusing alcohol or anything like that or doing anything Correct. in that regard. So yeah, they, yeah, they for sure. Well, they say, what is it? They learn from the past, don't live in it. Harry, it's been good. It's been. Um, yeah, I've enjoyed it. So, uh, yeah, listen, we've, we've carried. I'll, we've I'm going to have to have a, a disclaimer at the start of the show because we're not we're not therapists in the world of trauma, but everyone everyone goes through it, and we thought it'd be an interesting topic to um, talk about. And and thank yeah. you to the listener that actually brought this to the fore for me because it sent me on a, a bit of a spiral journey for the last uh, two weeks, examining all the mini T's in my life and how they may or may not have impacted me now. And I think that's uh, you know it's been a really interesting and insightful journey for me, and it's about raising awareness. Awareness leads to insight. Uh, insight leads to action, and it's, um, yeah, I think it's interesting. All right. Well, I hope uh, I hope our listeners uh, enjoy it. Share this with uh, one or two friends that you might think might benefit, and uh, let us know your feedback as well. That'd be great. Fantastic. Thank you, Harry. I'll catch you again this week, buddy. Take care, Nick. Thank you for tuning in to the Mindful Past podcast with Nick Day and Harry Kalimnios. We hope you found our discussion insightful and gained valuable takeaways to support you on your journey. Please, please, please do leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform and share an episode that's resonated with you with a friend or a family member who you think may also find it valuable. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to ensure you never miss a future episode. In the meantime, we'll continue exploring mindful path topics to provide you with more insights and ideas to support your personal growth. For now, thank you for your support and we look forward to bringing you the next episode of the Mindful Path Podcast real soon.